Is your job search stuck? Maybe you're not getting any interviews with employers, or maybe you are, but no job offers. Or you may be new and not even know where to start. This is Charles Maxwood, and I'm releasing a new course and ebook on how to find a job as a software developer. The course walks you through the process of finding the types of companies you want to work for, getting their attention, and putting your best foot forward as the candidate they want. I've coached dozens of developers in looking for jobs and have been able to help several people find jobs within two weeks to two months. So whether you're new to development, can't find a great job that fits what you want, or are looking for remote work from an area without a strong tech community, I can help. Go to getacoderjob.com and sign up today. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Elixir Mix. This week on our panel, we have Mark Erickson. Hey there. Josh Adams. Howdy. Nate Hopkins. Hello, hello. You know, Nate, I don't know if anyone mentioned that you were going to be coming every week because I wasn't on your first episode. So did you introduce yourself and tell everybody how awesome you are? I introduced myself, at least. Definitely uh, fresh into the Elixir space and Phoenix space, longstanding Rails developer with 10 plus years experience over there. So the world of functional programming and the Phoenix framework is all new for me. Yeah. And what Nate hasn't mentioned is my very first programming job. I worked with Nate and uh, he made sure that I didn't screw things up too badly. So <laughs> yeah, that was a good time. Yeah, it was. And, and he also works with uh, Eric Berry, who... Uh, has been on a panel before. So anyway, uh, we have a special guest this week and that is Eric. It looks like it's Ostrich. Did I say that right? Yep. Uh, Do you want to just briefly introduce yourself and and tell us why you're awesome? (laughs) Sure. So I'm Eric Ostrich. I work for uh, SmartLogic LLC out in Baltimore. I'm in Indy, but I work remote. We are a consultancy that used to do Rails and has now moved to Elixir uh, for about two years. So yeah, we've been uh, running great in Elixir land. <laughs> nice. It's funny because I, I saw the X Venture repo in the prep information. And then I was looking at my calendar for this week and I have pattern matching and your new X Venture on my calendar. And it turns out that the local users group, there might be a reason for that, right, Mark? Yeah. That <laughs> um, uh, I guess we're talking about X Venture then. So I might actually head over there and get a little more in depth. But uh, do you want to just give us just a brief introduction to what that is and, and you know, what we're, what we're talking about there? Sure. So XVenture is a, if anyone is familiar from the like kind of late 80s to mid 90s, something called a MUD, a multi-user dungeon. Uh, it's a text-based game that you can use Telnet into. XVenture is that, except, I don't know, slightly more modern. There's a a web administration panel. So everything is done through Phoenix. You don't have to type commands through uh, a, a terminal in order to edit your game. There's a lovely web client courtesy of Phoenix channels. Yeah. So it's just kind of bringing it more into the future and making it uh, stupidly concurrent and all kinds of fun stuff. <laughs> Super familiar with MUDs. Definitely burned a lot of time as a youngin. <laughs> So I'm curious though, like for the audience, they don't, they can't tell that Eric is not an old guy. So like <laughs> when, when I was younger, you know, that's, I, I never got into it, but that was like the, the, the time of Zork and these big muds. I never really spent much time in them. I think maybe I was just a little too young for that. But uh, Eric, so you're not a very old gentleman. So how did you end up coming into this idea of like building a mud and a mud editor? Uh, yeah. So I've, I've always 
the concept has fascinated me, I guess. Like I, I haven't really ever played too much of them, uh, which is kind of hilarious in its own right. But um, <laughs> just the, the, cause it's, it's like pure game mechanics almost. So like you just, in, in college I had written a, um, just like a solo Zork text adventure and I spent, and I was in Python and I spent a lot of time trying to make that threaded so that the world could happen behind your typing. Uh, never managed to get that going. But kind of after that, I'd always wanted to do a MUD, but wasn't good enough in C to make that happen. Couldn't get it working in Ruby, which was my professional language up until Elixir for many reasons. But then one fateful day, a little over a year ago, I uh, started a ranch TCP socket somehow and got an echo server and then a chat server and we have a MUD. (laughs) Awesome. So... So I just want to mention for everyone who's listening to this and, and maybe wondering why they should be interested, I will tell you why you should be interested. So XVenture is an open source. It's hosted on GitHub. Uh, it is a non-trivial Phoenix and Elixir application. So, and that's the most important part. Like a lot of the epi- examples that we see and play with often are, are fairly trivial. And so this one, he's really built it out. So it is a significant system in itself. And what I love about that, and that's why I chose this for our our Utah Elixir meetup that we're going to be introducing it. And we're going to be using this as a thread for upcoming meetups and presentations, specifically because we can teach a concept like gen servers and then go and point to an example that is, you know, in XVenture, like this is how gen servers are used in here. This is something you can take home and play with that is a non-trivial application. And so I, I encourage everyone just kind of dig into it and just play with it, especially if you're learning Elixir, because it is an excellent playground uh, where you can just get in and play with it. And you're not having to worry about like, it is a game, so that makes it more fun, but you're not having to worry about graphics and rendering and anything complex like that. It's, you're really just dealing, like, like you said, with game mechanics. So yep. I am also curious about where, where you wanted this to go when you started creating it. Like, you, like what made you say, ah, oh, I want to create this big thing and I want to make it open source. Like, where did that come from? <laughs> There's, I guess, two reasons that it's open source. One, I'm a, just a big fan of it in general. And the second is that work has partly paid for it. <laughs> um, so <laughs> as, as part of that, it's it, like, I don't want to say has to be MIT, but it is MIT because of that. So we, we like uh, early on in the project, whenever I've had downtime uh, between client work, that that had, had been a common uh, thread and up until recently when it's become something. But like all the, I talked with you, Mark, about Prometheus and like how you monitor your app and, and all that stuff. So that was, that was done through uh, some of our downtime and kind of research into like, how do we monitor our Elixir apps and whatnot? Um, so that's, that's the other reason why it's, it's open source. Well, that's awesome. And I thank you for it because, uh, so I ran <laughs> thank into you, smart logic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I ran into you at the conference and uh, you were showing me what you're building and then you're showing me your, your Grafana ta- uh, UI for the graphs. And I was like, Oh, I'm, working on deploying Elixir systems to um, Kubernetes with Prometheus and Kafka, or not not Kafka, but uh, Grafana. And you, uh, and I was like, how do you end up doing this? How do you end up sharing these metrics out? Uh, You know, because there's there's APMs, like uh, application performance monitoring, like New Relic and and 
app signal and other things like that. But those don't really show you um, application or domain specific metrics. And so that was one of the things I just loved. Like I was able to dig into your source and it's like, oh, that's how you use these libraries. That's how you do it. So why don't you just talk a little bit about um, getting metrics out of your system? Yeah, let's see. You set up what I've called instrumenters. I'm not sure if that's the typical term or whatever, but I'll have a, a module that's called, I think there's one called a player instrumenter. So anything that's dealing with a player metric, like you've executed a command, you've actually, there's a specific command instrumenter. So let's go with that one. Whenever you, inst whenever you execute a command in XVenture, which is just typing out in the little terminal bar and hitting enter, that then we record the, the histogram data of uh, how long it took to parse, how long it took to run, what command it was, and all kinds of extra data about it that's still fairly generic because um, Prometheus, just the way Prometheus is set up, you don't want to be putting unique data in these uh, uh, metrics. So part of my question, I guess, and let me, let me rephrase this a little bit, is really um, when people are thinking about trying to get metrics out of their systems, what even makes a good metric? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a lot of, uh, I'm still trying to understand that myself. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of whatever, I guess, if you were to look at a dashboard, whatever you would like want to know. So like, I specifically want to know how long things are taking to run. If someone's trying to log in and they're failing a bunch, like, is that a, is someone trying to hack into my system or whatever to know that anytime I have stuff for if you speak to the local room, if you speak on a global channel, I'll have metrics for that. So just kind of see general activity, know that stuff is working. So like specifically for histogram data, which is the way that works in Prometheus is if you, you give it a bucket of points that it could possibly be so that you could say like zero milliseconds, 100 milliseconds, 500 milliseconds, a thousand milliseconds, and so on. And depending on how long your command actually took to run, it'll get put in like that bucket. And so Prometheus knows how to deal with that data such that it can actually do real statistics and stuff that's above my head, but uh, it looks like it works. <laughs> yeah, that, that's cool. And, and so like, I think of like, like you mentioned, um, what would you want to see on a dashboard? And I think of like, well, with my system, you know, we have business intelligence that we would like to know, like, like one of the things that you have is like how many users are active are currently connected. Yep. And I can think of, you know, if there's ever money passing through my system, like a, an order has taken place, I'd like to see that an order count and maybe a separate metric for an order amount. So I can see dollar amounts perhaps. Yep. Yeah. So with speaking of, of those with for count like things, so you could have a metric that is um, you'd call it like total, total order volume or, price or amount or whatever. Um, and so you would just increment it by whatever the amount of the order that it was, the Prometheus uh, gatherer in the background. We should also point out that this is Prometheus.x on GitHub. So uh, that's what I'm using. Uh, but anyways, so this is, you increment the total. Prometheus is a scrape mechanism. So whenever it scrapes, it sees what the total is, assigns it a timestamp in its database. And the next time it scrapes, it'll grab the new total and it can like do the diff. And so when you do your, your chart, you can have it set up so that you can do an increase. And so you can watch the actual difference between the times that it's scraped across a, whatever amount you want, whether it be 
kind of down to the minimum you can do is how often it scrapes, which is 15 seconds for me. You can make that as fast or as slow as you want. You just kind of lose how granular your data is. So as low as the 15 seconds, all the way up to, you could have it be across like the last week and then have it be per hour. Hmm. That's cool. So I know as you started building this, you ended up pulling a lot of libraries out of it, right? And creating those as separate libraries. So one of them that you've, I think you're pretty proud of is uh, Gossip. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. So Gossip is a chat network for just kind of the whole mud text-based community. It's built into XVenture. So all you have to do is just give it the API keys and set up some channels and then you're part of the network. But yeah. So Gossip is a, uh, it's based on WebSockets. So this is a cowboy WebSocket instead of a Phoenix channel, um, just so that we can dip below that Phoenix requirement because uh, they do some extra stuff in that in the WebSocket protocol um, that I don't want to force on non-Elixir games. <laughs> so what kind of other clients are you trying to support? So right now I have the, there's a Gossip Elixir client that's, I don't know, official, whatever you want to call it, because uh, I wrote it. <laughs> there's a JavaScript client that someone has made. There's also a node-based uh, game called uh, Ranveer, which is a mud engine in JavaScript and runs on Node. Uh, there's a they have a bundle system for that, so you, it's like an extra package type deal that you so any Ranveer game can connect to Gossip. There's also a Python framework called Avenia that someone is working on getting into gossip and Avenia is the biggest of the new, new frameworks. I would, I guess you could call it. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a bunch of, uh, clients popping up everywhere. Um, the one thing that we haven't done yet is a C client. Um, and the reason that is important is because most of the games that you might connect to are like 30 to 25 years old, <laughs> Um, and they're written in like ANSI C and some yeah, stuff going on there. <laughs> so you can hook the existing, I guess, old school BBS MUDs into, into gossip easily. Uh, not yet. That's what, that's the C client we're waiting for. That's yeah. That's, that's sounds glorious. I will burn <laughs> a lot of hours on stupid stuff when that happens. <laughs> So one of the other things that, that you spoke about and at ElixirConf, and I'll put a link to your talk in the show notes so people can uh, go and review that. But you talked about some of the things you learned along the way. And I would uh, love for you to share that with uh, some of the listeners. Like, you know, like you went through iterations of performance. And I'd love to hear about like what kinds of things you found as performance bottlenecks and how you resolve those. Yeah, so specifically the performance stuff. When I started out, Xventure, I decided that I don't care about how well this thing performs. Like for some context, a typical mud, if you have 10, maybe 20 players, you're like on top of the world. <laughs> um, so that's like, that is like, if I can support 20 people on Xventure, I'm happy. Woo. <laughs> I've done it. Uh, so that was the starting goal of the project. Uh, leading up to ElixirConf, I was just sort of curious how well this thing would perform because I have a hosted version of it and mentioned it in the, during the talk, I was like, Oh, I don't want this thing to fall over during the talk. That'd be real embarrassing. <laughs> so I just started doing some performance testing to see how well that would go. Uh, so I had it running on my desktop, on my laptop. I started a new project 
called VentureBot that just spins up, connects to the server, has, this would be a good gen server intro as well, uh, because it spins up a process per bot and just like connects and starts talking to the server. So started that up, started it with like 50 clients connected. It was working great. Was looking at my command metrics to see how well things were moving. Everything was kind of at like a three millisecond response time or less. Uh, I was like, beautiful, add more. Uh, uh, so the first go around, I got up to 230 players or bots um, from my laptop. And then it just like came to a screeching halt. I might have seg faulted Erlang, I think. Uh, one of these times I did. It was it was really weird. But uh, <laughs> did you just run out of processes, or or was it an actual? Oh, uh, it definitely wasn't out of processes. It just like the Erlang VM just like shut off. It was just done. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> so yeah, so that was the first go around, and the I ended up finding out that uh, I have a room a room processes. So in MUDs, you typically move between rooms. Um, so I have a room process and that's how it does the concurrency stuff. So, uh, for every player that was in that room in order to do communication or check to see who was there or any kind of thing like that, it did a, a cast and expect or no a call. And yeah. So anyways, it, it ended up being that single process was being massively overloaded due to being a router of sorts between players and uh, NPCs and things in the room. Uh, so I ended up pulling off a side process that when you told the room to notify of like, oh, I just said something to the room, it you cast it to the room process and then it casts it to its side channel that then spins it out to everyone. Um, so that, that spinning out to like rebroadcast to everyone was the slow part. Um, so just getting that off the main process just doing that got me to, I want to say 700 uh, concurrent players. <laughs> the next step that I took was the actual data that I was passing around between messages was gigantic. And this was because I was just sending like, I as a user just did this thing. And that user was a full like preloaded ecto struct. Um, it had like all the skills you could do, your whole class, your whatever race you were just like way too much junk to be passing around uh, as part of a message. So I ended up simplifying that down to like your ID, uh, your name, and maybe some like just a handful of attributes that might be useful for someone on the other end inspecting you. Um, so dropping that down. Also, fun bit about this, I actually ran out of memory on my desktop. Um, and my desktop has 64 gigabytes of, of RAM. Wow. Um, <laughs> so it was like a true feat. <laughs> so once I simplified the message structure that was being passed around, uh, I was able to push up to 3,200 connected players. And there's a few other tweaks in there, but th those are the, the, the big things that uh, ended up getting me from like, uh, what? 200 players to 3000 more players on top of that. After Elixir Conf, I was just curious if I could like how far I could push it. And then I ended up finding there's a few database calls that are happening while you're moving around, as well as your character just saves every 15 seconds back to the database. Um, so if I unhooked like those two and like one or two more things, I could do another three times increment up to 7,100 connected players. <laughs> Just like on the same machine. <laughs> from that is the, the awesome. 
So I just want to identify a couple of these principles that you you just identified that you walked us through. It's like the first one, the first step is the first major block was that you hit that point where a gen server is a single process, right? And yep. depending on how we use a gen server, it can become a bottleneck for a system. So you go, all right, I can solve that by spinning off asynchronous new processes to do the work. So yep. I, can, I can say that I've already bumped into that with my first gen server. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a common mistake when we start first coming to Elixir. I've seen it a number of times at least where people kind of create a gen server treating it like an object instance, but they're not spinning up multiple gen servers. They're spinning up one and then they have all these different processes talking to it and it just kind of blocks it up. Yep. So how did you solve it, Nathan? I'm still in the process of solving it, but it's essentially side, you know, spinning off another process to do the heavy lifting. Um, my, my kind of short-sighted thinking uh, was enough to take down our site <laughs> oh yeah, but uh, so we, we reverted and went back and hard coded those numbers in, and then because uh, there's some long running uh, database queries that run, and I thought I was being clever by backgrounding that into a gen server. Uh, However, there is a call to fetch the stats, and internally it calls itself, so it's still a single process that calls itself. Hmm. So it will schedule a message to itself in the future, and then that blocks, and everyone else is sitting around waiting. Yep. 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 So that's, that's one of the big things I think uh, um, everyone new to Elixir kind of has to cut their teeth on, right? That gen servers are single threaded and Phoenix is not right. So you can get a lot of requests being funneled into one place. Yeah. So it's just an architecture kind of awareness of how we want to solve that. So the second one you mentioned was really large messages. And so that's one of the things, another thing I'm not sure very many people are familiar with. It's just the, that when messages are sent between processes, the data is copied. And it's because it is immutable. And so when I sent, when it crosses process boundaries, right, that's when the data is copied. And you were sending around really large message structures. And so, yep. <laughs> and how, so you end how up- How large with, is really large? I don't know if I ever actually calculated it, but it, well, actually we could, could sort of guess. So for every like, was it every hundred players was like a gigabyte of RAM in the in the- before it was fixed. So however that ends up spinning out, but uh, it was, it was a lot. (laughs) Uh, And that was mostly because every copy once it's like, once it got spun out. So a message when, when a new character enters a room, it sends a message to the room says, Oh, I'm here. And then that gets spun out to everyone that's in the room. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's copied again to every single character that's in the room uh, again, that they just entered. So, it just was kind of a cascade of like, Ooh, I just entered. And so then you're sending one, that around. Yep. Yeah. So one large message, like if you have a hundred other uh, bots in the room or players, then it sends out that one large message 100 times. Yep. Yeah. And so each one, each one of those processes is now holding on to that memory for some, some period of time. Yep. And yeah, until it processes the inbox. <laughs> and the third one that you mentioned was more around database um, blocking or, long like could you clarify that one a little bit more so i think the real reason that that the database was the reason that was holding me back at the at the 3000 or so player count was because it's on the same machine um so it's just resource contention mm. um i didn't 
look into pulling that off to a, a separate machine for the same like trial run. Instead, I just kind of like commented it out. It was like, well, we'll deal with database later. Let's see how far, like what I wrote can go. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cause a lot of that stuff, because it is like, it's an asynchronous save, you could probably just kind of send off those messages and say, Oh, I mean, it's more complexity. Right. But uh, yeah. you know, an architecture could be like, Oh, update my, my state with this information. And it could even look at it and say, Oh, well, it hasn't changed since the last one. Cause I held on to the last one. So I don't have to do anything with the database. Yeah. At least, so part of the, the user save asynchronous stuff was, uh, it was always saving like irregardless of what was there because I, I tricked Ecto into thinking <laughs> that it was always new. So I set it to nil and then saved it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so that, that there's a lot of things that could be better about, about making the, the save specifically faster. Um, oh, but, but that's, that's cool. Cause like those yeah. three, three things, uh, those three um, steps you identified, I think a lot of people are likely to hit those at some point. And so I'm, I'm just grateful that you're able to come out and like publicly share like, Hey, this is what I learned. And yeah. so I think that's, there's a lot of value in that. Yeah. And that is, that was part of the, my ElixirConf talk towards the end of it. And they, I also did a, a blog post as well. I think the blog post has specific links to the parts of the file that we talked about. So another thing that you'd uh, built and extracted out, at least I understand that you did, was it Squabble? Is that, yeah. So could you talk briefly about what that's doing, kind of where it fits into this architecture? Uh, Yeah. So Squabble came about when, or this May or April or sometime earlier this year, I decided like I need to learn how to cluster in Elixir because I've heard it's amazing and (laughs) I need to make this happen. And so that, that's what the ElixirConf talk I did was, was like how I went from a single app, like node to multiple nodes. So what Squabble fits in with that is that it is the simple, it is simple leader election for your nodes. So the way I went with XVenture is that each node will be the full running application. And when they cluster together with the fantastic libcluster library, so they've clustered and they will start the, it's the Raft leadership only part of the protocol. So Raft is a consensus algorithm. This is just the leadership picking part of it with a few modifications because I think we can drop down on chatter since we're on, because of how Erlang clusters. But anyway, so once the application starts up, you turn on your, your squabble supervisor and then it spins up its own stuff that starts talking amongst all the nodes in the cluster uses process groups to deal with that pg2 and they'll do it's the raft leadership election so it's essentially a like i'm going to wait half a second this other one's going to wait 0.4 seconds and the last one will wait one second so it's kind of whoever this is for a, starting a leadership election. Uh, so the one that finishes at 0.4 seconds will send a message out to the cluster. Hey, I want to be leader. Uh, and then what the other two nodes will get it. They'll just say, Hey, I vote for you. Uh, and whenever a majority of the cluster has picked a leader, then that node says, Hey, I am the leader. <laughs> uh, and then from then on until it dies or uh, enough, of it gets net separated or net split off or whatever. It is the leader. And that's just kind of, all it does is just know who the leader of the cluster is. There's a few set of callbacks that you can set. So like when a new leader is picked or I think a node dies, I also have a callback for that. 
And the reason that is useful for XVenture is because when the world starts up, that is the thing that you only want to happen once in the cluster. <laughs> so Squabble will pick its leader. It'll tell that node, hey, you just got picked as a leader. It'll send a message to the, the world master on that node, which will then say, these are all of the things that I have to start up. All the, uh, specifically they're called as, I have it called a zone, which is a just a grouping of rooms. And so they say, hey, start these like 12 zones. It'll say, okay, node one, you get these three, four. Or you, so you get, you get these four. Node two, you get these four, and I'll start these four. Uh, so it kind of spans it out across the cluster. Um, and yeah, so that's the one, something that should happen exactly once. Like that is, we should not have the world twice or three times or more times or whatever. <laughs> so, so that's interesting. Let me stop you right there for a minute. And so you're saying then... When you have a node or a cluster, and I join, and I know that you mentioned that rooms are implemented as gen servers. Mm -hmm. So when I transfer between from one room to another room, I might end up crossing off or being passed off to a different ser uh, server or node, Elixir node. Is that right? Sort of. It depends by what you mean by pass off. So your player session never moves from the cluster. So whichever node you happen to land on, Mm -hmm. either via the web client or uh, if you're connecting via old school telnet, um, whichever server you land on, that's where you're at. Um, uh, yeah, I guess telnet can't like <laughs> dynamically be rerouted, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I guess the magic of Erlang and Elixir clustering is that like once you are in the cluster, all these rooms are named, are globally named servers, uh, gen servers. Uh, so I just say, hey, I know that I'm in room... 12 and I just send a message out into the cluster. Hey, room 12, I'm here. And then the via, or I guess it's the specifically the global cause it's, it's not, I think it's still via, but it's a different keyword anyways. So mm -hmm. that knows how to route it back to the gen server, wherever it is in the cluster. And then it just works. So like what you're talking to doesn't matter where, what node you're on, but you do not, your process doesn't move between nodes. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now, and it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. I'm, I'm going through the code base now of XVenture and it's this, I'm excited. This is going <laughs> to be very uh, helpful in my, my path to, to get better at Elixir. Yeah, and that's so. part of the point of XVenture. I particularly want... Uh, anytime we're working on like a new Elixir client, like I want a spot that's already been labeled as MIT. <laughs> I've written it, it's done. 
and I can just copy paste into <laughs> this client. <laughs> nice. So I know I just want to drop this in before I forget. You host a server that people can just join and just kind of see what it is as a user and experience it. And it is uh, midmud.com, right? That's yep. M- M-I-D-M-U-D.com. So yep. I just want to make sure we mention that so people can play with it. Yeah, so that that has uh, effectively your first hour of playing, I guess, just based on the sessions I've seen people play. <laughs> so you'll you'll go around. There's a town crier who gives you give you a quest, and you kind of do a little tutorial, and then kind of just explore the world, combat monsters, and if people happen to be on, you can talk to them, whatnot. Um, it's also plugged into gossip, so if people happen to be online anywhere in the network, you can talk to them. Entirely possible. I've spent this call also playing Midmud. <laughs> I might have alerts for that. <laughs> That's awesome. Yep, there we go. Player logged in. <laughs> I killed a goblin. <laughs> yeah, I, I better not. I, I was playing earlier. Um, it'll, I'll just get distracted. And we'll just kind of sit here in silence and then start gaming collectively with no video. And that will be kind of lame. New podcast. <laughs> Okay, so let's say let's say I want to use gossip to build a game, or just in general, I want to use gossip. What is involved there? So yeah, so there you can go to it's a, a pretty fun URL. It's gossip.house. It's the German spelling, so it's H A U S, and then you go to slash docs. Uh, there's a full documented or documentation on like what the the protocol is. Uh, so you just kind of set up your WebSocket client and whatever library you're using or language you're using uh, and just start sending and receiving events. I have it set up to be, I guess you could call it a progressive WebSocket if we want to throw in some buzzwords. You start by saying an authentication, an authenticate event, and you'll say what features of gossip you support. The bare minimum is channels. So like if you're connecting to this, you have to do the public channels. So after that, you can do tells, there's a player's so tells are direct messaging, but it's typically called a tell in, in old school MUDs. Or, and then there's a players flag that lets you see who's online in the network. So you can get sign in, sign out events to kind of keep your local cache live. There's a games flag, I think is the last one, that lets you probe gossip to see what games are currently connected and get some more information about them. Like how do you connect, what some d- description, like a better display name, uh, stuff like that. So yeah, so you just start connecting and sending events. I wanted to mention that I was downloaded it and was playing with it because I previously used it just to like browse the code, which was also very helpful, like especially when I was trying to understand how to do the Prometheus metrics and really get kind of like business intelligence out of my app. And they're like, oh, here's an example of how I can actually see it in use. And so that was awesome. But then in downloading it, I found, I just want to mention this as a tip. Um, for me, it was the, the simplest way to do it was using the Docker instructions that you had because I love that because it has a Docker Compose and it brings up uh, Prometheus and Grafana all hooked up so I can just log into Grafana and you already have it set up with like, oh, and here's uh, the dashboard for XVenture. So I thought that was really cool. Yep. And so yes, yeah. like that, that gives people a great way to just kind of get started with like, oh, I can see how an Elixir system can hook into all these different pieces. Yep. Yeah, that was that was done by a community member that it was an excellent pull request. <laughs> nice. 
So that is, uh, that is one of my questions is like, are you looking for people to come help out and join in? Or like what kind of contributions are you interested in? Yeah. So if I have a public Trello board, it's linked on the readme. So you can kind of see where I'm headed, I guess. Uh, so if, if something interests you on that, there's a Hacktoberfest set of, there's two tags, one of which is a lot of things inside of it. So there's a Hacktoberfest set of issues. I have a Discord as well, where we talk about Xventure gossip and all the other things that are going on in there. Yeah. Nice. So it sounds like you've already been getting some people getting involved. I think that's awesome. Yeah, there's a, I got a, a bunch of new members on the Discord after ElixirConf. There's a bunch of people that like I don't know, 20 or so afterwards came like, oh yeah, I used to play Mutts. These are great. Like, I love that there's one in Elixir. I'm going to take a peek. <laughs> nice. So, And so I wanted to mention like if people download it, one of the other tips that I just had to dig around a little bit to find it was uh, in the seeds file is where you find out what the admin username and password is because it wasn't listed on the readme. So maybe that's something we could add, I guess. But yeah. <laughs> so to save anyone some trouble, like if you're hosting it locally from the Docker install, it's admin is the username and password is the password. But what, yeah, and that, that used ahead. to be uh, Eric as the login for the longest time <laughs> until about two months ago. I was like, oh, I guess there's, I should probably make that not be me. <laughs> yep. Uh, but what I thought was fun is like just playing around with it, like in the admin panel, where it's really all around creating this game or this, this kind of world. I kind of got the sense that, you know, this is generic enough that I could create a space game out of this. And it's like just describing like instead of rooms or dungeons, maybe it's like sectors of space, you know, and, and so it's, that seemed like, wow, that, that's totally a reasonable thing that this could do too. Does that make sense? Yes. One of the things that I want for X Venture is that it's not specifically tied to fantasy just because that's what Midmud is. So I don't want it to be like a feature is geared only towards fantasy. Uh, it should be very generic. So yeah, everything should be good to go for a sci-fi, a historical, fantasy, whatever, whatever kind of genre you want to spin up. Um, I hope X Venture will do it. And if it's not, it's a bug. <laughs> what I love about that is I just got this idea. I could see... Um, like a Hacktober or like, I'm sorry, uh, uh, a Hackfest kind of thing at a company, they could create a company one. And it's like the town crier is the CEO, right? <laughs> and it's like, like the introduction to the company. So now it's like, okay, well, that was a, your onboarding process. You got to go through this little mud and explore the company culture. And uh, I don't know, you could have a lot of fun with that. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. more companies should just be embedding fun muds for their, uh, for their user base anyway. <laughs> Like, uh, yeah, little hidden things on their website, like, you know, Stripe. Oh, you click this little button or you make this API call and now you're in a mud in Stripe. <laughs> yeah, there is a, if you Google search text adventure, open your console, uh, you can actually play a text adventure in the, in the, your developer console uh, while on the Google page. Wow, didn't know about that one. So what do you search for? I believe it's text adventure. I'll have to try that out. I can confirm. <laughs> I'll have to drop a link in the show notes so people can play with that. Fair enough. One of the other things I kind of discovered in this whole process is that there's a whole, I don't know, subculture, I guess, or just a group of people that are interested in this thing that I didn't even know about. Like, I didn't know that it still existed. And your presentation kind of like, and then the fact that, oh, there's all these other 
muds out there. So I just think that's interesting, right? It's, yeah. Yeah. There's a, a lot of games that are out there that are 20 plus years old and just have like still been on. <laughs> Someone's maintaining right. those servers. So what's, yeah. what's your favorite old school mud? Uh, so I've only really played two. One is called Ardwolf, A-A-R-D Wolf. That is just kind of a hack and slash run around. It's got like, I don't know, thousands of levels and whatnot. So you just kind of run around and kill stuff and it's very hack and slash. And the other one is uh, called Achaea, A-C-H-A-E-A. And that one is run by a company called Iron Realms Entertainment. And that one has sort of inspired a bit of what X-Venture is doing in regards to the web client, because you can play that one over their web client. And that one's more of a, it's a more of a role-playing player versus player type thing. I haven't gotten too far in either of them as, as, as far as you can with muds of spending thousands of hours. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so those are the, the two that I've, I've mostly played. Yeah, I will say uh, I really like the, the web interface at least. And the, the little status bars are really cool. Like you have a, if you haven't played it, you can open up MidMud and you have like a health bar that obviously goes down as you get slashed. And that's just really neat. And also the fact that you have a, like this expiring time on magic spells and it'll tell you when you have one ready. It's just a very cool. Definitely feels like modern mud. Yeah. And the action bars in particular, um, I've pulled from my time playing WoW. Um, so I'd, I'd like them to, in WoW, when you use an action bar, it kind of has a little timeout, like clock spin around. And like once it hits the top, you know it's done. You can use it again. Um, so something like that where it kind of probably, in my case, it'll sweep to the side. And like once it hits the end, it'll be done and you can use it again. So just trying to to take old school mechanics, but making it, well, I mean, yeah. Anyways, making text-based mechanics and making them have a nice UI UX on top of them has been a, a big part of what Xventure is. You'd also mentioned that you kind of came from a Ruby background. I was just curious as to what your transition to Elixir was like. Like, how did you end up coming to Elixir? And, you know, like, what was that like for you? Yeah, so some of my coworkers had been, this was uh, two and a half years ago, maybe, have been interested in Elixir from a, the, a functional standpoint mostly than anything else. Um, so they have been checking it out, reading about Phoenix and whatnot. Uh, we had an opportunity for a two week project to just say, let's use Phoenix. Let's see how this goes. Here we go. Um, so we started, uh, one coworker did a two week project in Phoenix. It went, uh, very well. And then a few months later we had a new client come in and we just said, it's time to, <laughs> we're just picking Phoenix. Let's see how it rolls for like a real, like a, a very large project. So I was tasked with that and kind of just learned everything as part of that project. Wow. Trial by fire. Yep. Yeah, with it was. Dead, with deadlines. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So how was that coming to, you know, coming from Ruby, it's object oriented, you're coming to functional, it's like uh, immutable data, it's more pure functional, and you have pattern matching. It's like, what were some of the, I don't know, if you could like, turn around and like the person who's behind you coming along the same path, what kind of advice would you give them? So for better or worse, at least at that time, Phoenix was still very Railsy. 
the web folder still exists. The web models folder still existed. So it was a lot less of a culture shock, I guess. You could think of all of the, all of your controllers as effectively a Rails controller, at least as, as how I had written them, which is try to like be as skinny as possible. And the, the weirdest thing was views being pulled out separately versus like a template. But yeah, you just kind of, I just, you just make the view and work on templates from then on out <laughs> and kind of consider the view as your Rails helper, I guess. After that, it was kind of, it sort of fit, I guess, the Ruby I was doing at the time, more or less, I guess. Yeah, I, I really haven't felt like Elixir is a functional language, which is sort of weird because <laughs> it definitely is. But yeah, it's just, yeah, I don't think of myself as a functional programmer, which is uh, kind of interesting. Yeah, no, that's cool. I was, I was going to say, I always tell people when I, uh, when I first was learning Erlang and I ran across the Telnet, uh, sorry, uh, like the SSH module, but also just Telnet in general and realized, wait a second, this is like essentially standard library here. It was really cool. So MUDs were always on my list of things that were like an interesting thing I wanted to play with, but never did. And so um, I'm assuming you use the, the Telnet library from standard lib, but I haven't looked. Uh, so it's using Cowboy's Ranch, which is just oh, the TCP yeah. acceptor, which I think uses gen tcp under the hood so it, it's just the ranch is the thing that sits on at the gateway to then let you in yeah i, I meant um, gen tcp and the ssh library the ssh library was the was the cool thing for me yeah yeah and there has been a, there there are a number of people out there that want people to move towards ssh instead of telnet because it's secure but my i don't know my personal path forward to secure telnet is uh just stick tls on top of it <laughs> And then that way, most clients don't have to update other than accepting TLS. Uh, yeah, that's just reasonable. Yeah, Telnet under the hood otherwise. Uh, I guess while we're on the topic of secure Telnet, uh, which is sort of a weird oxymoron, but <laughs> <laughs> one thing that XVenture does that if you connect via an old school client, such as uh, there's one called Budlet that XVenture supports pretty heavily. But if you sign in through that, because you're just, doing plain text communication, Xventure does not, it does not ask for your password over that channel. It'll give you a link that you'll go click and effectively OAuth your way in. So you'll get a link that's like attached to your Telnet session inside this, inside the cluster. So it gets a UUID on top of it or as part of the link, you'll click it, you'll load the web page. It'll say like, Are, do you want to authorize? Yes, you click authorize and then you're signed into your session in the game. That's really cool. All right. Anything else that we should hit before picks? Sorry, this was all a lot over my head. So, <laughs> but you understand text-based games. Yes. Yes. That I do. Yeah. And yeah. So like really just to kind of tie this up, I, I think there's a lot of value just in the work that you've done, Eric, and sharing it and kind of the, sharing the lessons, learn the path. Um, specifically, uh, if you're new to Elixir, um, XVenture, the project is a great one to start digging into. I can tell that you've used the Elixir formatter because like the style <laughs> is all nice. It's like consistent, you know? Yeah. So, every now and then, uh, I don't have it set up to run automatically. Um, but every now and then I'll just run it and commit whatever it has. Yep. Um, and it's mostly, I like to add trailing slash or trailing commas and it's mostly just cleaning up after me. <laughs> nice. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, I've been introducing the idea of the 
the using the formatter at work too. And because people get hung up on syntax, like, well, how do you like to do it like this? It's like, well, we'll just run the format and we'll do it that way. Yeah, so that's yeah. cool. But yeah, sorry, yeah. I, I encourage people to just download it, uh, browse the code. You can just browse it on GitHub. You can, but download it and just kind of, or go to MidMud, see what it's like as a user. Uh, download the code, run it locally, just play with it as an admin, whatever. And it's uh, like, we intend to use it. We have a meetup coming up uh, this Thursday. And I'm, Eric's is going to be coming in virtually talking with us as well, uh, introducing this uh, to our meetup group. And we're really excited about that. And just the idea of being able to use a large non-trivial project as a teaching tool as well. So I encourage people to give it a try and play with it. Yeah. And I have a, a lot of, all of gossip is, is open source. There's also two separate projects that are part of the gossip network called uh, grapevine and raisin. <laughs> um, all of that is open source. So if you're, if you're interested in, I guess a uh, fairly heavily interconnected set of Elixir apps, it's all open source. You can download it, poke around, have fun. Nice. So if people wanted to follow more of what you're doing online, uh, I don't know, talk with you on Twitter, whatever, like what is your preferred way of people reaching out to you? So my Twitter is Eric Ostrich, O-E-S-T-R-I-C-H. I'm sure there'll be a link. Uh, and my GitHub is Ostrich. Uh, and otherwise, there's a I'm on a uh, Xventure as a Discord. And then the other place that you can find me that was going to be a pick, but I'll stick it here. Uh, it's called uh, mudcoders.com. Um, it's a Slack for people who are interested in programming MUDs. Um, so that's the other place that I would say you could reach out to me. Cool. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Mark, you want to start us off with picks? For you, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at LootCrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, uh, cool t-shirts comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Sure, I have one. It's, uh, this is kind of continuing on with um, sharing some of the things that, I, that are part of my build development chain. And one of those is the library ASDF, which I really like. And I noticed that you also recommended it in your, in your uh, development docs. Yep. And so ASDF, if you're new to Elixir, I, I just love it because um, it lets me have multiple versions of Erlang, multiple versions of Elixir. It even runs Node. I also, there are other community plugins. I use some for doing Kubernetes stuff. There's a Minikube and a kubectl plugins. So I can have different versions of all these different things. So I love using uh, ASDF for managing a lot of my development environment stuff. Awesome. Uh, Josh, what are your picks? All right. So I have, I have two this time. One is just uh, fun. 
So there's a, a TV show called Brooklyn Nine-Nine and it's been around for a long time. And uh, my co-founder introduced me to it, I don't know, a few months back. And I finally actually started started watching it and it has uh, sort of consumed my background listening just because it's hilarious. Um, so there's that. And then separately, I've been building some stuff in Elm uh, and there's a library called Elm UI. And the um, pretty sure the tagline is, what if you never had to write CSS again? Um, it's, it's very good. It's just an abstraction around UI that produces uh, really good web UIs with nice, uh, nice behavior. So um, I don't know, if you're playing with Elm and you want to build a UI, you should look at it because it's amazing compared to doing HTML and CSS. And this is coming from a person who's done that for as long as he's been with computers. Anyway, that's it. All right, Nate, what are your picks? Well, I would say uh, mentoring and pair programming and, and kind of indirectly um, open source. So, for example, Eric is mentoring me through his open source project. Um, but as I've been learning Elixir, I've been mentored and I have mentored some folks that are kind of coming along behind me as well. And, and teaching and mentoring someone else is very, is very helpful as well in terms of kind of expanding your own knowledge base. Um, other pick would be, uh, something that I know Eric has picked a lot on this, uh, on these podcasts, but it's Metabase. Uh, Metabase is an open source, um, tool. It's a, it's a beautiful UI that sits on top of it, essentially any data store and provides ad hoc queryability into and discoverability of your data that you can kind of surface up to the business team, which is fantastic. It, it saves a lot of developer cycles I have found in my experience with it. So it's been fantastic. Nice. I'm going to jump in with a couple of picks. One that I've been enjoying lately, it's on Audible. It's a book called Monster Hunters International. Um, kind of a fun book. I'm not sure exactly how to recommend it, but, uh, or, or how to describe it. Um, but essentially, um, it, it takes place in a world where all of the, um, supernatural creatures, I guess, out there are real. And, uh, anyway, it's kind of fun. Got some pop culture references and stuff in there. Um, my mom actually recommended it to me, <laughs> which was funny because I, I've listened to most of the book at this point and really enjoyed it. And it doesn't seem like the kind of book that she would read, but she really liked it. So anyway, um, yeah, it's kind of an urban fantasy type book. Uh, a lot of fun. Um, so I'll, I'll pick that. Eric, do you have some picks for us? Yeah. So I'll just echo uh, mudcoders.com again. And then uh, the other thing would be, um, one of the community members there helps run the Elixir language server, uh, and specifically the Emacs plugin called Alchemist and Elixir LS, Elixir dash LS as well. Um, so yeah, those would be my two picks. That's Aldrich. Yep. Yeah. I know him. Trevoke on Twitter. Yep. Very cool. All right. Well, uh, let's go ahead and wrap this up. Thanks for coming, Eric. Thanks for having me. All right, we will catch everyone next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.